If you have a Bible today, go ahead and grab it and go to 1 Kings chapter number 21. First Kings chapter number 21, and uh, like Rakia said, uh, next week is going to be a special day, All-American Sunday. We have a confirmed fire truck that's going to be there next Sunday so the kids can get a picture uh, with that fire truck. We're going to have some firefighters there, some police officers, some military. We want to honor them and thank them for their service to our community and to our country. And so if you know uh, a firefighter or a police officer or a paramedic or some first responder or military, invite them, bring them along with you. We want to give a, a free gift into their hands next week. And so it's going to be a very, very special day. And I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to uh, not just invite someone next Sunday, but to be a bringer and bring someone with you next Sunday, okay? And uh, here's the challenge that I want to give to you. Tomorrow morning, and uh, when you go to work or when you're in your neighborhood, I want you to ask someone uh, that does not currently attend Rock Hill, I want you to ask them just this simple question. How was your weekend? How was your weekend? Because after they tell you about their weekend, I'm going to venture to say that nine times out of ten, they're going to ask you how your weekend was. And then you can say, my weekend was great. I went to Rock Hill Baptist Church. And oh, by the way, next week is going to be an amazing day. I want you to be my guest. I want you to come with me. Okay. So how many of you could say, you know what, next week uh, or tomorrow or sometime this week, I'm going to ask, how was your weekend? And I'm going to try that. I'm going to try to get someone to come with me to church this next coming Sunday. Okay. It's going to be a great day. Greatly looking forward to it. And uh, real quick, before we get into the message today, I want to encourage you uh, on your seat when you came in, there should have been a little card that says, uh, someone that I'm praying for. If everybody can find that card real quick, uh, just go ahead and find it. It's just a little piece of paper that says, I'm praying for All-American Sunday. And I want to encourage you to keep that uh, paper close, keep it handy. And uh, at the end of the service, at the invitation, we're going to have a time where we can turn these in. And I promise you, if there is a friend, a family member, a relative, a neighbor that you invite, that you write down on this piece of paper, I promise you, I'll pray for those names every single day this week. And I'll have our teams pray for those names every single day this week. And we want to pray with you uh, that God can change someone's life next week. I don't want to just pray for something big to happen. I want to pray for God to do a miracle next week, something that only he could do. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. And I want to encourage you uh, to keep that paper handy. And then at the end, we'll have a time where we can pass those in and uh, pray for those names. First Kings chapter number 21. We're going to continue our series, One of Us. And uh, we've been studying the life of Elijah. And the Bible says that Elijah was a man of like passions, just like we are. He was one of us. And if God can use Elijah, then certainly he can use any one of us to do a great uh, work for him. And uh, I'm looking forward to this study today. First Kings 21. The Bible says this in verse number one. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house. And I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it, or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee uh, the worth of it in money. Verse number three. And Naboth said unto Ahab, The Lord forbid it me. Everybody say forbid. The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and he turned away his face and he would not and he would eat no bread. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me 
thy vineyard for money or else if it please thee I will give thee another vineyard for it and he answered I will not give thee my vineyard we're gonna cover more verses than the ones that I just read this morning I want to encourage you to keep your Bible ready keep it open as we refer to many verses this morning but we'll pause right there and have a word of prayer father thank you for this day you've given us thank you for your word thank you for our time together this morning. And God, I pray for the next few minutes we'll be able to focus on your word this morning uh, wholeheartedly. And uh, God, I pray that nothing would be a distraction for us, Lord. I pray that nothing would be a barrier or a hindrance from receiving what you'd have for us today, Lord. I pray that you would speak to us in a great way. God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit to give me the words to say. And God, I pray that we could be encouraged and and challenged and and convicted of sin today, Lord, that we can leave here uh, with a lifestyle that is honoring and glorifying to you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. How many of you uh, like to get the last word? You like to get the last word. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You like to get the last word. Uh, occasionally, my wife Katie and I, we will get into a disagreement, occasionally. And I know that may come as a shock to you, but occasionally we'll get into a disagreement. And typically, we do pretty well at working uh, things through and talking things out. And we kind of came up with this little system and this habit that we do. Uh, whenever we get into a disagreement, we'll say, uh, we'll kind of come some point in the conversation and we'll say, okay, it's time for closing statements, <laughs> closing statements. And what that means is uh, we're coming to the end of the discussion and we each get one closing statement. And then after we make that closing statement, then we can't really bring up uh, the topic any longer. And it seems to work pretty well as long as I get the last closing statement, right? And I want to make sure that I can give the last word. And what I want to talk for a few minutes this morning about, and what I want to give, uh, what I believe to be hopefully an encouraging reminder is this, in your life and in my life, God always gets the last word. He gets the last word. And I believe that's encouraging because sometimes we can look around at what's going on in our world and we can look around at what's going on in our personal lives and it seems like evil, the enemy, is winning. Sometimes it seems like there is evil that is just prevailing. I, I, I get news uh, updates on my phone through uh, different news apps, and it seems like every day, breaking news, there's shootings, and there's uh, hatred, and there's racism, and there's terrorists, and there's all, all, all sorts of bad news. And it seems sometimes like, where is God? seems like evil is winning. Even in our personal lives, sometimes we go through struggle, we go through adversity, we go through hardship, and it seems like this isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this situation? But I want to encourage you with this. God always gets the last word. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 19, verse number 21, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. So there's many devices in a man's heart. There's many ways in which we could go or things that we want to do, but God's counsel, God's word, that is what's going to stand. God gets the last word. The Bible says this in First Chronicles chapter 29, verse number 11 and 12. It says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory. Everybody say the victory. The victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and all that is in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand is to make great and to give strength unto all. And so when your world is completely spinning out of control and when you can't really make sense of your situation and you can't really make sense of the evil that's going on in the world, I just want to challenge you and I just want to remind you this morning that God is completely sovereign, that God is in control, and that God always gets the last word. And I, and I feel like we need to lay this foundation before we get into this message this morning. And I just want to encourage you and kind of lift your spirits a little bit that Jesus is still king, that he, that he is still on the throne. 
He is seated at the right hand of the Father this morning. And so I want to encourage you. God is seated. He's in a position of control, a position of authority, of a, a position of calmness. He's not up in heaven looking down going, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. No, he is in control. And even when it seems like things are out of control, never forget, God is going to get the last word. And in 1 Kings chapter number 21, we come to a story, and it seems like if there was ever a time when you could ask, you know, where is God or why is this happening, it was now. It seems like evil was ruling the land. Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel, they seemed like they were just doing whatever they wanted and worshiping false idols, and they were murdering, and they were getting away with all sorts of evil. And it seems like where is God, and, and why is God allowing this to happen? But, but what happens in this text in 1 Kings chapter number 21 is God finally comes in and says, enough is enough, and he has the last word. And in 1 Kings 21, we see a picture of both God's justice and God's mercy. And sometimes we like to focus on one or the other. You know, sometimes as Christians, we have a one-sided view of God. We like to celebrate his love and celebrate his goodness and his mercy as we should. But we often forget that there is another dimension to God's character, and that is that he is just and that he is holy. And so we understand that God is both just and full of mercy. And here we see a picture of that in 1 Kings chapter number 21. The Bible says this in Deuteronomy 32, verse, four, verse number 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect. Everybody say perfect. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just. Everybody say just. Just and right is he. A.W. Tozer said this, God's compassion flows out of his goodness, and goodness without justice is not goodness. God spares us because he is good, but he could not be good if he were not just. God's justice stands forever against the sinner in utter, in, in utter severity. The value and tenuous hope that God is too kind to punish the ungodly has become a deadly opiate for the consciences of millions. It hushes their fears and allows them to practice all pleasant forms of iniquity while death draws every day near and the command to repent goes unregarded. As responsible moral, uh, moral beings, we dare not so trifle with our eternal future. So amazingly, God's justice and God's goodness go hand in hand. We see a picture of this when Paul is preaching at Athens in Mars Hill in Acts chapter number 17. He says, at the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. There was a time when God was overlooking. He was winking at it. He was being patient at, uh, with the evil that was going on, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. And so 1 Kings 21 is a sobering reminder as we get into the story this morning. It's a sobering reminder of the severity of sin and how God views sin. Because to, to, to God, sin is a very big deal. And what I want to ask you this this morning is this question, how seriously do you view sin? Is it something that we have become desensitized to, to where it's maybe not that big of a deal? where it's just kind of something that's minimal that we kind of just struggle with, everybody has their little sins, or is it something that you view, as Joseph said in Potiphar's house, how can I do this great wickedness before God? Carl Manager in his book, Whatever Became of Sin, said this, the very word sin seems to have disappeared. It was once a strong word, an ominous and serious word, but the word went away. And he goes on to say that the last time the word sin was used in an in, in inaugurational speech was in 1953 by Eisenhower, and even then he was quoting Abraham Lincoln. It seems like sin and our culture wants to desensitize us to sin and minimize it. It's no big deal. Hey, you can kind of just handle it. You can kind of just go with the flow. But God says, no, I deal very 
very seriously with sin. And we come to 1 Kings 21, and we see a picture of God's justice and a picture of God's mercy, and we see that God ultimately gets the last word. And if you're taking notes this morning, I want to give you just a few reminders that I see in our text before us. Number one, reminder number one for us this morning is this, biblical convictions are not for sale. Biblical convictions are not for sale. Notice what the Bible says in verse number one. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And so we're introduced to Naboth. Naboth is uh, a simple man. He owns a vineyard, and it happened to be next to uh, the palace of Ahab. This was not his primary residence. This would have been his uh, summer palace. And uh, it just so happens that Ahab uh, notices Naboth's vineyard, and he thinks, man, that looks uh, pretty nice. I'd like to have that uh, in my collection of gardens, and I'd like to have that uh, to be my property. And so he, he, he sees it, and he wants it. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 2. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs. He wanted this to be a vegetable garden for himself, and uh, because it is near unto my house. He said, this, this is going to be perfect. It's right next to my house, and uh, I, I want to go ahead and take this. And I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it, or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. Now, I want you to, I want you to understand about this offer that Ahab makes. First of all, it was a reasonable offer. It was a reasonable offer. He said, hey, hey, Naboth, I noticed that you have this vineyard. It's very close to my palace, my summer palace, and I would really like to have this. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you uh, a, a more than enough money for it, or I'll give you a better vineyard. That seems like a pretty good deal. Ahab didn't come in and say, hey, Naboth, give me that vineyard. It's mine now. No, he said, let me make you a reasonable offer. Can I tell you this morning that the devils at the surface level, the devil's temptations always seem reasonable. They always seem like, hey, this seems pretty harmless. It seems like a good deal. I can go ahead and dabble in this a little bit. And it always sounds good. It always is a plausible argument that sounds okay. It's reasonable. But this morning, God did not call us to determine if something is reasonable. He called us to determine if something is biblical. And so Ahab comes along. Hey, Naboth, I would really like to have this vineyard. I was reading a story about there was a teenager. Uh, his name was Mike Rowe. This was... Uh, uh, several years ago, and uh, he, was, uh, he was in high school, and he decided that he was going to start his own company to make software and websites, and, and uh, his name was Mike Rowe, and so when he came to buy a, a website name, he decided to get the domain name that was MikeRowSoft.com. Well, Microsoft was not very happy about that because he thought, hey, this would be perfect, MikeRowSoft.com, and so Microsoft sued him. Teenage boy, and, and uh, he, they said, you need to take this uh, domain down. And he said, no, you got to give me some sort of compensation for it. And so Microsoft offered Mike Rowe $10. That was their offer. They said, we'll give you $10 to buy the domain back. And Mike Rowe said, no, I'm not going to take that uh, $10. And so he said, no, I need something better than that. And then Microsoft started getting some bad press. And they said, maybe this isn't the best PR move to be suing a teenager. And so they said, we'll give you $6,000. And how about we'll throw in an Xbox console? And uh, Mike Rowe was like, all right, deal. <laughs> you know, he took it. And uh, he said, that, that's a deal that I can make. When Ahab comes to Naboth, what I want you to understand is it was not a weak $10 offer. Like, here, just let me just go ahead and throw something that's easily rejected. Ahab came and said, let me give you a deal that you cannot afford to not take. Very reasonable. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 16, verse 18. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Did you catch that? Good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. 
So be very careful before you start to listen to plausible arguments and just reasonable reasons to get involved into something that you shouldn't get involved in. This was a reasonable offer, but it was also a rejected offer. Notice what uh, Naboth says in verse number three. He says, And Naboth said unto Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. He says, You know what? I'm not going to sell uh, this land. He rejected the offer. I'm not going to give this, uh, this vineyard to you. Now, Naboth was being more than just stubborn here. The reason Naboth didn't want to sell the vineyard was because he had some biblical convictions to back it up. See, back when God was giving out the land to the 12 tribes of Israel, he made it very specific to not sell this land. In fact, the Bible says this in Leviticus chapter 20, 25, verse 23, The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. Deuteronomy 36, 7 says, So shall, the, uh, so shall not the inheritance of the children of Israel remove from tribe to tribe. And so, so Naboth understood this. And the reason why Naboth was so adamant about rejecting this offer is because Nahab, or Naboth strongly believed in the word of God. He had some biblical convictions, and so he could say, hey, it's not for sale because I'm, I'm more allegiant to the word of God than I am some man. I, I know that you're the king, Ahab. I know that this is a reasonable offer, but I have some biblical reasons why I'm not going to sell this land. This morning, I want to challenge you that each one of us should have some biblical convictions that are not up for negotiation, that are simply not for sale. As a church, we have some doctrinal positions that, that we uh, hold fast to that are just not up for negotiation. The verbal inspiration of the Word of God, not up for negotiation. Uh, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the vicarious death of Jesus Christ, the, visible res uh, the victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ, the visible return of Jesus Christ. Hey, we're not going to budge on those because those are non-negotiable. But on an even more personal level, there should be some practical, biblical convictions that you have in your life that are just not up for negotiation. Can I say this this morning? Church should be a non-negotiable you say, well, you're just saying that because you're a pastor and you want people to come. No, I'm saying that because Christ loved the church so much that he gave himself for it. He died for the church. He commands us in his word to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So church should be a non-negotiable. It's not for sale. Can I say this? Being faithful to your spouse is a non-negotiable. Generosity should be a non-negotiable. Sharing your faith should be a non-negotiable. That's not something that's just a calling that some people have. No, it's a command for all of us to live out. So let me ask you this question this morning. What are your non-negotiables? If you were to get out a piece of paper this morning and write down my biblical convictions, my non-negotiables, what would make the list? Because I'm praying that God would raise up some people in this church that say, you know what, I have some biblical convictions, and guess what? They're not for sale. Yeah. Number one, biblical convictions are not for sale. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Number two, discontentment is simply dissatisfaction with God. Discontentment is simply dissatisfaction with God. Notice what the Bible says in verse number four. It says this, And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed, and he turned away his face, and would eat no bread. So Ahab goes into a full-on funk, and he is just pouting here, okay? He, he goes to his room, and he puts his face in his pillow, and he says, I don't want to talk to anybody, and I don't want to eat any food, and I can't have my vineyard. And, and I look at him like, this is what we would call first-world problems, right? <laughs> like, Ahab, you can't have one more garden to your summer palace. <laughs> you know, that, that's what you are complaining about. 
You know, it's funny the things that we'll complain about in life, isn't it? I was on a plane the other day, and I was irritated because the Wi-Fi wasn't strong enough. (laughs) That's a first world problem, right? It's funny the things that we will be discontent about. I want you to notice the reason for his discontent in verse number five. But Jezebel's wife came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. And so the reason for Ahab's discontent was he just wanted more. It was greed. He was coveting. He just had to have that next piece of land. He just had to have a little bit more. That was the reason for his discontent. There's an interesting comparison that we can make between the Apostle Paul and Ahab because Paul said, and whatsoever said I have learned, there were to be content. Everybody say content. content. Paul said, I had to learn that. I had to figure that out. I had to figure out that it's not about an accumulation of possessions. It's about what I have being content with what God has given me. It's about being content with the provisions that God has given me. Paul had to learn that. It doesn't come naturally. You have to learn to be content. And it's interesting that Paul was content while in prison, yet Ahab was coveting while in the palace. And that tells us something, and that teaches us something about being content, because contentment is not about your place. Contentment is about your perspective. It's not about your position or your possessions or what you're accumulating. It's about your perspective. Are your eyes on Jesus? Are you completely satisfied in what he's given you? Because he has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He's given us everything that we need in order to live a godly life, and he's given us everything we need in order to live a life of contentment. But so often we want that relationship And if I could just have that piece of land, and if I can just have that house, or maybe if I can get a new car or a new phone, or maybe I can just get that one more thing, and we're constantly wanting more and more, and what we're really saying is, God, you haven't given me enough. Because discontentment is simply dissatisfaction with God. And so Ahab, he's he's pouting, he just wants more, wants more. I I just got to have that one more piece of land. The Bible says this in 1 Timothy 6. Verse 68, but godliness with contentment is great gain. You really want to gain some things in life? Want to talk about gains? Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we will carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. I read a story about there was, uh, back in the 70s, they were trying to put in all this pipeline in Alaska. And there was this huge undertaking, this huge project. And they couldn't really get anybody interested enough to, to sign up for the job to get paid to go and lay this pipeline. And uh, the conditions were not favorable, and the weather was very cold, and people didn't really want to be involved with this project, and so no one was signing up for it, even people that lived in Alaska. And so the overseers of the project, they came up with this idea. They said, this is what we'll do. They started to send catalogs and magazines to all the residents there in Alaska with just all kinds of things and all kinds of material things. And they thought, maybe if we can get them to start wanting and have a desire for more things, they'll sign up for this job. And their plan worked brilliantly. In three years, they laid over 800 miles of pipeline in Alaska because people just wanted a little bit more. Isn't that human nature? We just got to always have one more thing. Just one more place in life, just one more opportunity, just one more chance, and then I'll be happy. How about you just be happy with what God has given you right now? So the reason for his discontentment was that he just had to have one more thing, greed. But I want you to see the results of his discontentment. What happened because he was discontent? What, what happened because of this? Because we, it's, it'd be real easy for us this morning to be like, well, in the grand scheme of things, discontentment is a relatively small issue, Right? It's not that big of a deal. 
But I want you to see where this discontentment led Ahab and Jezebel. It led them further than they ever intended to go, I believe, where this discontentment led. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 7. It says this, And Jezebel's wife said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. She's like, hey, aren't you supposed to be the king? Come on, Ahab, quit pouting. Jezebel then goes into her wicked plan. By the way, there is nothing more helpful for a man in life than to have a godly woman by his side. And there's nothing more destructive for a man of God to have an ungodly woman by his side. And here's Ahab, and Jezebel starts to come up with this plan. It was a brilliant plan. It was a genius plan. It was smart, but it was completely and utterly wicked. Notice what it says in verse 8. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. So she starts off by lying. And sent letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in the city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high among the people. And set two men, sons of Belial. And uh, basically that's an Old Testament phrase for people of debased character. These were, <laughs> these were lowlifes. These were guys that were more than willing to lie and to murder and to do whatever needed to be done. And set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king. And to carry him out and stone him that he may die. How ironic is it that Jezebel is saying, let's blame Naboth for blaspheming God when that's the very thing she was doing with her whole life. So she says, let's, let's, let's pin this on Naboth saying he blasphemed God and let's murder him. We'll skip down a little bit. That's exactly what they did. Verse 13, there came in two men, children of Belial, and sat before him, and the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. And then they carried him forth out of the city, and they stoned him with stones that he died. So a completely innocent man loses his life. Not only does he lose his life, the Bible tells us later on in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 26, Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons saith the Lord. So not only did Naboth lose his life, but also his sons were involved with the process. Because of a little bit of discontentment, because Ahab just wanted one more piece of land, it led to lies and murder and total destruction. If there is discontentment in your heart, I promise you there's destruction in your future. Because of one little piece of land. It wasn't a big piece of land in the grand scheme of things, but that one little piece of land was his ruin. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians, neither give place to the devil. Don't give him a little bit. Don't give him an inch. Don't let him get a foot in the door. Don't, don't give him a little bit because he can use that little bit and little things turn into big things and big things become destructive things. And so he says, don't even give him an inch. Seems like a small thing, just a little bit of discontentment, but look at where it led. Look at the downfall that took place because of the discontentment. I read a story about Lockheed, a large company, were making an international contract with another company, and, and uh, in the selling contract, they uh, misplaced one of the commas in the sales price. And they all signed the documents, and they realized that it was a big mistake. Both sides knew it was a big mistake, but the, the, the international company that was buying insisted that Lockheed honor the original contract. They said, no, this is what you put. Uh, this is what it says. And because of one misplaced comma, it cost Lockheed $70 million dollars. Because of one misplaced comma. Can I tell you this morning, that's exactly how it is with sin. 
it always seems small. It always starts small. It always seems like it's not a big deal. It's just one piece of land. It's just one more garden. It's just one more vineyard. And there might be some people in this room today that you have a little bit of a vineyard of sin somewhere. It's a small thing, and it doesn't seem like a big deal, but I'm telling you that it can lead to destruction. Warren Wiersbe said this, the first step towards disobedience is often reclassifying sin and making it look acceptable instead of abominable. Just making it seem like it's okay. It's one of those acceptable, respectable sins. So a little bit of discontentment led to downfall. Notice number three this morning, moving on. Number three, we will be held accountable for our actions. We will be held accountable for our actions. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Verse 17, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, God said, enough is enough. I'm going to get the last word. And, 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 he, and uh, he deploys Elijah. Verse number 18, arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he is gone down to possess it. So God comes to Elijah and says, Elijah, I've got a new assignment for you. I've got a new uh, project for you to do. I've got a new job and a new mission for you to accomplish. I want you to go and find Ahab. And where he is right now, he's, he's in a man named Naboth's vineyard. I want you to go and show up. Now, just kind of picture this scene with me for a second. There's Ahab, and he's just kind of walked into his newly claimed garden. Maybe I imagine he has his royal gardener there with him and they're kind of surveying the sites and they're planning this is where we can plant vegetables and this is where we can plant flowers and here's where we can do this meanwhile they're cleaning up the blood of Naboth behind them he's kind of planning it out here's what we're going to do not a care in the world then Elijah shows up verse 19 says this and thou shalt speak unto him saying thus saith the Lord hast thou killed and also taken possession you you, you stole and you killed yes Ahab, you are responsible, and thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. Not a whole lot of compassion in that verse. God was saying, enough is enough. I'm going to get the last word. And imagine the shock on Ahab's face when he sees Elijah. <laughs> He's like, I thought Jezebel took care of this. I thought he was in hiding. He was discouraged last week. I thought that I won. And now he's like, oh, my goodness, here's Elijah standing in front of me. Notice what he says in verse number 20. It says this, and Ahab said unto Elijah, hast thou found me, O mine enemy? He's like, ah, oh, we meet again. <laughs> you found me, mine enemy. He was discovered. Can I remind you this morning, the Bible says that be sure your sin will find you out. Ahab thought that he had not a care in the world. He, he had got it figured out. Jezebel, his wife, figured out he got, the, he got the vineyard. He was happy, but he was exposed in his sin. He was found out. The Bible says this in, in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We will be held accountable for our actions. There's no escaping it. He was exposed in sin. Job 4 Verse number 8 says, even as I have seen that the, uh, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Everybody say the same. same. Judgment is coming. We will be held accountable. God is a God of justice. He's a God of holiness. Not only was Ahab exposed in his sin, but he was also entangled in sin. And I want to explain what I mean. Notice what Elijah says in verse number 20. He says, oh, thou hast found me, O my enemy. And he answered, I have found thee because thou hast, thou hast sold thyself. Everybody say, sold thyself. sold thyself. You've sold yourself, Ahab, to, the, to work evil in the sight of the Lord. What a powerful statement. Ahab sold himself to sin. 
That's serious entanglement. When you sell yourself to sin. Now, Paul made an interesting statement in Romans chapter 7, verse number 14. He said um, that he was sold under sin. He said, I'm sold under sin, like, like sin's holding me captive. I, I want to break free from sin, and, and I want to do what I'm supposed to be doing, but I just feel like I'm sold under sin. I feel like sin's holding me captive, but there's a difference between being sold under sin and selling yourself to sin. Because Ahab was sinning willfully. He said, I'm going to go ahead and just do it. I'm going to sell myself to sin. I'm going to give myself over to wickedness. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins willful sins when we're saying hey i'm just going to go ahead and do what i want anyways and i want to encourage if, if you're in here this morning you've never prayed and accepted christ as your savior you've never received the life-giving life-changing message of jesus then judgment is coming but mercy is available yeah. judgment's coming God's a God of holiness, but he's also a God of love and compassion. That's why God sent his son 2,000 years ago to die on the cross for your sin and for my sin so that we can have a home in heaven and a relationship with his son. <laughs> Judgment is coming. It's inevitable, but mercy is available. Is anybody thankful today for the mercy and the love and the compassion and the goodness of our God? Maybe you're here this morning and you have not sold yourself to sin. You, you are not like Ahab, and you did not make a willful decision. I'm just going to go ahead and keep on doing what's wrong. I know it's wrong, and I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways. But maybe you still find yourself more relating to Paul, where you feel like you are sold under sin, where sin is holding you captive. And I have good news for you this morning, because you can claim what the Bible says in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer there? And can I tell you this morning that death has no more dominion over you. Sin does not have power or control over you. Sin is not your master. You can get the victory. You can uh, defeat sin, not through your own strength, not through your own flesh, but through Jesus, a victory can be attained. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus paid the ultimate price on the cross for your sin? Not only that you can have a home in heaven, but that you can have victory in life over the current sins and the current battles that you're facing today. Sometimes we're so thankful for a promise of eternity and a promise of heaven, but we don't claim the promise of victory today. Ahab was exposed in his sin, but he was also entangled in sin. I want to give you one more thought this morning and we'll be done. Number four, God's desire is to show mercy to a repentant heart. And what happens next in the story is so surprising to me. It's not what you'd expect, but it teaches us a powerful principle and it gives us an encouraging reminder that God's desire is to show mercy to a repentant heart. Notice what happens. Uh, Elijah delivers the sentence to Ahab and he says, hey, you're going to uh, die just like Naboth and, and, and uh, Jezebel, she's going to die just as well. He, he said, uh, you can read it verse 23 through 26. He delivers the sentence. God gets the last word. He says, here's the sentence. But watch verse 27. And it came to pass when Ahab heard those words that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. Wasn't expecting that. Ahab was a wicked king, 19 consecutive evil wicked kings in Israel. Ahab was number seven. The Bible says that he was the worst of the worst. He was worse than all of them. But here he shows a sign of humility. You could say that he repents. Now, it was more of remorse than it was repentance because he didn't give the vineyard back to Naboth's family and he didn't give up on his idolatry. But in this moment, it was genuine. He felt bad about it. He felt convicted. He demonstrates humility. And watch what God does. Verse 28. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Elijah, did you see that? 
God accepted his imperfect repentance because God wants to show mercy. He has a desire to show mercy. He wants to forgive. He wants to love. He wants to show his compassion and his goodness. He's looking for it. Even the smallest little glimpse of a repentant heart, God says, oh, good, I can show mercy. Elijah, do you see it? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in the son's but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. And so what does God say? He says, he's still going to get judgment because we will be held accountable for our sins. We will be held accountable for our actions. Judgment's still coming, but he delayed the judgment. He says, let me show mercy. Let me just show mercy. I know he doesn't deserve it, but I'm a God of mercy and I just want to. <laughs> let, me, let me show some mercy. The Bible says this in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse number 11, saying to them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I don't want you to die. I don't want you to suffer. I don't want you to go through that. I want to show you mercy. I love what John Vinney said. He says this, God will pardon a repentant sinner more quickly than a mother would snatch her child out of the fire. Psalms 23, verse number six says this, surely, everybody say surely, certainly, Beyond a shadow of a doubt, certainly, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Everybody say, follow me. Follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mercy is going to follow you. You say, I don't feel like I deserve it. I feel like I'm too far gone. Can I just tell you this morning that surely, goodness and mercy is going to follow you. It's going to pursue you. It's going to chase you down. You can't shake it. You can't escape it. That's how powerful, that's how great our God's mercy is. It's going to follow you all the days of your life. He wants to show mercy to a repentant heart his desire. It's, it's what he wants to do. It's what he longs to do. And so this morning, for an unbeliever, the message is clear. I believe this morning, God's going to get the last word. Judgment is coming. But thank God mercy is available. Is not that the message of the gospel? It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's by his what? Mercy that he saved us. We can go boldly to the throne of grace to obtain what? Mercy and grace and help in our time of need. Thomas Watson said, God is more willing to pardon than to punish. Mercy does more to multiply in him than sin in us. Mercy is his nature. This morning, you might be thinking, I'm not as bad as Ahab or as bad as Jezebel. I haven't done what they've done. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter if it's a big sin like Ahab or if it's a small sin, like just a little bit of discontentment. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I love this verse, Colossians 2.14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. Everybody say, out of the way. Took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Is anybody thankful this morning for what Jesus did on the cross and he took away our sins, got him out of the picture? I don't even know him. I don't even see him anymore. As far as the east is from the west, I nailed him to the cross. It's good news. By his mercy that he saved us. God's going to get the last word. Mark it down. And God has a desire to show mercy to a repentant heart. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Bible says in 1 John 1 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and he is just 
forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, God is holy. Yes, he is just. Yes, he is righteous. But he is full of compassion and full of mercy. Maybe you're sitting here this morning if you never received Christ as your savior. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and if you were to die today, you're not sure where your eternal destiny is. You're not sure if you go to heaven, hell. And I would say that's something that you need to take very seriously and something that you need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt because I, I couldn't make it any more clear this morning. Not necessarily the most fun message to preach, but let me tell you, judgment is coming. It's real. Are you prepared? Are you ready? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Are you, are you trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone? Or are you trusting in some sort of good work that you might have, that you might have done? How many could say, just in the privateness and the quietness of this moment, how many could say, Pastor Matt, if I were to die today, I'm not 100% sure. Would you pray for me? I'd like to know that I have a relationship with Jesus, but I'm just not 100% sure. If that's you, can you just slip your hand up so I can pray with you? Just say, I'm not 100% sure. Thank you. How many could say this? I'm glad and I'm so thankful. And what a reminder this morning of God's mercy and God's goodness. And I'm so thankful that I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm so thankful that I've accepted his free gift of salvation. And this morning was an encouraging reminder for me. If that's you, can I see your hand? This morning was just an encouraging reminder. God gets the last word. Put your hands down. Thank you. How many could say, you know, as we were going through this, God spoke to me in one of these areas. Maybe it was discontentment. Maybe it was just establishing some biblical convictions. And you could say, you know, I want to have the heart of Naboth that says, it's not for sale. It's not for sale. Maybe God spoke to you in one of these areas. How many could say, would you pray for me? Um, God spoke to me in one of these areas. And I have a decision that I need to make. If that's you, can I see your hand? I have a decision that I need to make in response to God's word this morning. Thank you. You can put your hands down.